Folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we could all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is May the 23rd, 2018. This is episode 2224 of the Survival Podcast. And I have a guy on the line who is part of the TSP community that started his own blog and podcast. His name is Nick Jamel. And he has started a website and podcast called Conversation of Our Generation. Again, he's the founder and author of Conversation of Our Generation, a blog that focuses on creating dialogue that dives deeper than 140 characters allows. They talk about philosophy, economics, religion, and politics. And art is discussed to spark conversation to get to the heart of the idea and allow the best ideas to rise to the top. Um, he started this journey after he, he, he coasted to his first vote for Trump in his first presidential election out of fear of Hillary. In examining his beliefs further, he found more conservative and libertarian voices that led him to the survival podcast right here. From there, he was all in on finding a way to put his voice out there, but he had trouble. That's why he created the conversation for our generation, or of our generation. And hopes to bring that to anyone who doesn't feel they have a platform to be heard or believes they have an idea that must be put out for others to hear. He's come to us today to talk about the marketplace of ideas, how to find ways to be heard, and to understand and sort through ideas and find the best ones. Specifically, how to discuss the idea versus the person, which is a really good way to elevate conversation. I will have Nick on in just a moment. Before we do, let's hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is ButcherBox.com. ButcherBox is like having a professional shopper go out and find the best pastured, grass-fed, and organic meats for you and bring them to your house. That's what ButcherBox is like. Every month, a box arrives at the Spirico house. I go out there, and it's like Christmas all year round. Uh, this, year, this, this time around, I added on a pretty cool pork roast that they had as an additional add-on item available uh, for this this uh, this particular month, sometimes I have things you can get that you can't get all the time. But you know what I get all the time? I get a whole pasture chicken once a month from ButcherBox.com. I think that's awesome. I always get some of the New York Strip steaks. Uh, big fan of their ribeye steaks as well, and I get free bacon with my discount, and you can too at ButcherBox.com. Remember, everybody can get a discount and free bacon on your first order. And then if you're an MSB member, you can get discounts on all your ButcherBox orders in perpetuity. Check them out at ButcherBox.com. But this is one time where it would be best for you to go through the banner on the SurvivalPodcast.com to check out ButcherBox, because that way you can make sure you get your discount if you're not an MSB member. If you're an MSB member, go to the benefits section, use that code, and you will do really well for yourself with free bacon for life, at least as long as you remain a customer of ButcherBox.com. Next up today, harvest eating. Hey, look, if you're going to have great meat, great food that you're growing in your backyard, all this other stuff, going out hunting and getting game and fish, you know, when you want to cook it, you want to cook it at an elevated level. And the key to cooking at an elevated level to me is to focus on techniques over recipes when it comes to cooking. Understanding certain things just go together and certain things just don't. And what do we do to always make a piece of meat really great? You know, How do we always get that great sear on it? That's a simple thing. Make sure it's the right temperature. Make sure it's dry. It's that simple. 
And then whatever we use as a coating to enhance that, it's up to us. That type of thinking is what Chef Keith teaches over at HarvestEating.com, where you can check out all his seasoning and spice mixes that I use weekly in my own cooking. You can check out his blog. You can check out his podcast. You can check out his YouTube channel. You can check out his cooking courses. All of that stuff's available for you over at HarvestEating.com with the awesome Chef Keith Snow, who is also an expert council member. So again, guys, if you have questions for Chef Keith Snow, make sure you get them in for the expert council show. Real quick note on that, guys. I could use some expert counsel questions to get them into me. Uh, probably this week, I probably won't get an answer back by Friday, but I might. But I really need them going into next week. I'm kind of drying up on expert counsel questions. Before I bring Nick on, let's go ahead and take a look at a year in history. We're up to the year 131 A.D. Uh, today we have from David Verne at the TSP Wiki, Renaming Jerusalem. The province of Judea was one of several provinces that had become depopulated during the Second Jewish Revolt, also called the Kittus War. The revolt had occurred, occurred near the end of Trajan's reign, and it was a massive uprising uh, of the dispersed Jewish population with hotspots in Cyprus, Egypt, and modern-day Libya. Hadrian decided to rebuild Jerusalem, which had been nearly destroyed during the First Jewish Revolt almost 60 years before. Hadrian decided to rebuild it as a Roman colony and named it Alilia Capitonia in honor of Jupiter. He also tried to Hellenize or make Greek Judea along with several anti-Jewish laws. This did not go over well with the Jews who began preparing for another revolt. My take by David Verne. I am not sure if Hadrian was deliberately poking the hornet's nest or if he just didn't realize what he was doing. Renaming Jerusalem's holy, holy city in honor of a Roman god was an egregious insult to the Jews. Jewish leaders had learned from the previous revolts and carefully planned this one. The first revolt had been plagued by infighting between rebel factions, but this time the rebels were united. Jewish blacksmiths working for Roman garrisons would send the Romans shoddy weapons. And when the weapons were returned as subpar, the blacksmiths would rework the blades and stockpile them. With a unified leadership and armed populace, this revolt would be the most serious one yet. There's a lesson there, isn't there? Isn't there? You know, should we be relying on nations like China for electronics within our defense systems? Maybe it's not so much getting them back, but, you know, maybe there's something there that won't work when it's supposed to. I don't know. I, I just always, and I know there's some safeguards in place for some of this stuff and all, I just always found it absolutely shocking that we would rely on a single component from outside of this country for the building of weapons meant to defend it. Now, me, I'm incredibly anti-war, but when it comes to our policies in the world, I want good defense. I wish we'd exercise a little bit less offense, in fact, quite a bit less offense, but if it ever comes down to and we're attacked, I want to be able to win. It's just common freaking sense and self-preservation. Well, I don't know. Sometimes the way we treat the world, we might end up with almost everybody as an enemy. And we should think about that when we decide where to get our stuff from. I'm just saying. With that, let's go ahead and get into the uh, main topic of today's show and introduce Nick. Again, Nick is the founder and author of Conversation of Our Generation, a blog that focuses on creating dialogue that dives deeper than 140 characters will ever allow, discussing philosophy, economics, religion, politics, and art, and conversations that get to the heart of an idea and allow the best ideas to rise to the surface. With that, hey, Nick, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hey, thanks, Jack, for having me. I'm excited. I think it'll be a lot of fun. 
I think it'll be a good conversation. I was checking out your site uh, earlier today, getting ready for the interview, listening to one of your podcasts recently. I think it's not the most recent one, but the second most recent one about discussing ideas versus people. I thought it was really cool. Uh, let's kind of start out, though, with like who the hell is Nick, right, so that the audience knows who, who you are. Put aside the subject matter of today's show, take us back to, like, I don't know, you're bored in high school and figuring out what to do with your life and, you know, what have you done professionally and, and, and how did that kind of lead you to where you are today? Yeah, so uh, when I was bored in high school, uh, basically what I would do is sit there and dream about, you know, I love music. I love, I was thinking, like, I always wanted to do something in music. I wanted to get ideas out there all the time, and I just kind of, I would just drift off into thinking about things. Like, I would, you know, be sitting in class, and normally school was pretty easy for me, so I just kind of run through uh, conundrums in my head, especially like even back down into grade school, like I would sit there and walk through like time travel conundrums. Like it comes back, you know, when you go back in time, change something, does it really change in the future? Because then you could have gone back in time. You know, I'd run through this in my head, and yeah, and and so I would just kind of zone out into you know fade out into thinking about things and just dreaming up you know ideas and walking through. Uh, different conundrums and different things in my head all the time and and I and I always had a passion for just sitting and thinking and working my way through I would just sit there and listen work through existential questions and I'd work through ideas about God the like I would kind of walk through the unmoved mover idea in my head and try to reconcile that which I don't think is necessarily the normal pastime for a high school junior or senior but that was something that I did and I and I also love the artistic expression of ideas. You know, I love when you do like the music segment at the end of the day, I love listening to where the ideas for these lyrics and these songs come from, because that's something that I'm also really passionate about. I, I like, for me, I think that being able to package a really great idea into lyrics is one of the most amazing things. I love poetry and lyrics for that reason. And, but other than that, I mean, I was kind of a normal high school kid. You know, I was, I goofed off. I, you know, had, fun with my friends and partied and, you know, did the normal things that kids do. I worked a lot, uh, but I was never afraid to kind of take my own path and to do something differently than all my friends were doing or be contrary to my friends and kind of, you know, I don't know, be a little bit different than most of the people in my group. Gotcha. Gotcha. So what, when, when all this time is going on, like what were your beliefs as you grew up, politically, ideologically, etc., and what helped to shape them? Yeah, so I grew up as a pretty in a conservative family. Uh, you know, just I'm an Irish Catholic kid, and so for us to be, you know, kind of Republicans is a little different than most Irish Catholics that you get around. But they're only kind of like a blue dog Democrat sort of thing. But my family is all pretty conservative Republican people. Um, but I will say that we have a very big openness in my family to discuss things. Uh, just this last week, I actually, or two weeks ago, I guess now I graduated college and, um, before like I'm getting ready to go to my commencement, I'm in like my robe or getting ready to go. And, uh, like my cousins and I are discussing like how cryptocurrency is going to work with an economy and how inflation should work. And I'm just saying, I'm debating why the fed should exist and they're debating back. And, and it's a pretty impassioned, like, you know, we get, really down to the nitty gritty of things, but it always, you know, is very civil. And at the end, we know that, you know, this is my cousin. If we disagree on things, normally it's minor things, but 
if we do disagree on something big, you know, he's still my cousin, you know, we love each other, we're family, and that's a disagreement thing. That's just a point of disagreement. And I think that that's something that I've kind of taken into my life whenever I do discuss ideas. Uh, you know, it's always been that way. And, you know, we're not afraid of my family to have those things. And so growing up, though, my dad and I would have these discussions all the time. And he and I are kind of, we're, uh, you know, we, I grew up a Republican my whole life, but we were always kind of like that small L kind of Tea Party side of the thing where you want to really bring the government back to local governance. And, you know, we hated, you know, the GOP, like establishment, all, you know, all that. And up until about two years ago, I hadn't had the uh, opportunity to vote in an election. And when the 2016 election was going, it was a time where I had to really sit down and decide, you know, what I'm going to do in this situation. I have a chance to vote. How am I going to do this? What's going to be? And, you know, I'm, you know, one of those people who I did, I will say, you know, I voted for Trump out of fear of Hillary. And it was something that, like, afterwards, as I saw the fallout, I really started to get involved and realize, like, I can't stay. You know, I didn't feel, it wasn't one of those things that I felt good about doing. I was like, why is this? And so I really started to question it. I found a podcast and I kind of went through the wormhole and I found you on, uh, after like a series of listening to different people and kind of guest spots and like, Oh, I like that guy getting the next guy. I found you and then, and Vin. And I think I found something here where I feel kind of at home in my political beliefs. And so it's been a transformation in, you know, two years from voting for Trump to like now, um, you know, I, I use the word voluntarist or libertarian around my grandma so I don't scare her. But, <laughs> but, uh, even libertarian sounds too close to liberal for her. But, um, and so, but I mean, I would still consider myself an anarchist at this point. So it's kind of been a huge transformation in the way I look at the world. So it's been incredible, though. So you're working toward a definite purpose with your, your efforts here. What gives you a sense of purpose and, was there a moment that you knew you you kind of had one like this? This is the thing I'm supposed to do. Yeah. So uh, I actually had to have open heart surgery when I was a little kid or when I was born, and uh, I had a condition called uh, uh, transposition of the great arteries, where basically two arteries that were going to my heart, uh, blood was just circuit, uh, circling through my uh, inhale, go to my heart, and then go to my lung to exhale instead of getting my body. So I had to have a surgery called an arterial switch when I was nine days old. And after that, I always had to go back in for checkups. Uh, and luckily, we live in Indianapolis where Riley is a great children's hospital. We go down there, and it was just kind of always a thing that I did. And one time, I just remember asking my mom, you know, how big of a deal was this thing? You know, was there a chance that I was probably five or six? And I asked her, you know, was there a chance that I, uh, I could have died in that, you know, that I you know, I could have never known this world and not quite ask it like that, but, you know, I asked if I could have died and she just was like, well, you know, there was a chance and, uh, but luckily, you know, you made it through and everything's good now. And, and so I just remember kind of sitting there and when a little kid asks an existential question and then stops talking, normally there's like crazy things brewing in their head. And I just kind of was like, you know what? That means I'm on my second chance already, so mm. I got a lot of life to live on a second chance. I better make the most of it. I mean, there's obviously some reason for that, and you know, because you know, you're I'm a six-year-old kid going to Sunday school and everything. So you hear that, 
you know, the guy has a plan for you. And I was like, well, I guess he really does in this case. So it kind of, that's always been something that's been in the back of my mind uh, to kind of remind me when I do feel down or when you do have those times where you're like, what's this all for? You kind of, it's like, oh, that's right. I do have something that I really have to make happen in this with this chance that I have. Gotcha, gotcha. So you mentioned the 2016 election, and mm-hmm. you, you know you, you talked about kind of being a switching point. How, how did that change things for you? Because well, you know I think you did what a lot of people do in elections. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't matter which side you pick. One yeah. side is more despicable to you than the other. So we've often heard to it as the lesser of two evils, many yeah. other things. So once you did that. Did you kind of have this like moment where you thought like I don't feel good about my choice, even though I still probably, if I had to make the choice, would make the same one again? You know, uh, so it's funny. I actually leading up to the uh, election, my marketing professor told us she goes, uh, "I know exactly who's going to win this state of Indiana," and she goes, "And I know exactly how I can prove it to you." When and she's like, "But I'm not going to tell you until." you know, the election's over because I don't want to, you know, change the way you vote or do anything. And I can't, and we came back into class and she said, neither Trump nor Hillary spent a dollar on local advertising in Indiana. So you knew automatically at that point the it was decided, whichever way it was going to go, it was decided who was going to win. You know, the point, I mean, the, the polls were showing that there was no sense even putting money into Indiana. And so, so looking back, knowing that, uh, I would much rather at least, like, write in Adam Kokesh or vote Libertarian just to, like, let people realize that there's, you know, still a call for this really small government. I think that that's a signal that the Libertarian anarchists, people, like, especially anarchists who kind of say, you know, voting is, you know, violence. It's like, well, voting for, you know, a Libertarian is, you know, you're not, he's not going to win anyways to coerce people, so you might as well let the government know that, like, hey, this, you know, this area of belief is growing and you better kind of cater to it or get your act together about some things because those numbers show something. But that's kind of, that's what I would do. I tell everyone now I'm writing in Adam Kokesh 2020. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I take a different tact. I, I do not infer that voting is violence um, mm-hmm. because I think it just is the wrong message and it doesn't win people over. It doesn't I, help. I, um, I, I don't vote. Because I can do math, and I know that, that mathematically I am more likely to die in my car on the way to an election than to influence an election. And, and I think you're kind of at a point in your walk where, well, I'm going to vote third party to make a statement. My thing with that is I don't think anybody gives a crap. Yeah, I, I really don't. I, I mean, what, when is the last time you heard anybody tell you what the percentage of libertarian votes were in the 2016 election? Yeah, I mean, I've had a couple people talk about it as, as uh, I've, I've heard it just on libertarian circles, but it's like, you know, it's it's not really, you, do, you don't hear it because they don't want to acknowledge libertarianism because both parties have an interest in not doing so. Mm-hmm. I think both of them, you know, if they tell everybody out there that there's people who want to, you know, take over the government just to leave you alone, well, that doesn't that message doesn't work for either of them. So, but I, but I think that you know, I can make a bigger impact by taking a picture of my voting or my ballot and tweeting it out saying that I'm writing it Adam Kokesh and making that a thing than, uh, than actually voting. I agree with you on that. 
Well, no, see, so at least you're figuring out a way to make it matter, <laughs> right? You know, I, I get that. Um, you, you use the term conservatism. What does that mean to you, and how is it different from, let's say, Republican Partyism? And I don't mean Republicanism; I mean the GOP. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I think that the words are a big thing now, where just everything from conservative to liberal, all these terms that we throw out politically have just kind of become a wishwash of you know perceptions about what that party stands for. And conservatism, to me, uh, there's a great book, uh, The Meaning of Conservatism, by he's a British conservative philosopher named Roger Scruton, and he actually talks about the fact that you know the American brand of what conservatism is, where it's like you know gun loving, you know you know fiscal conservatives, like we're the only country in the world where that's where we think of conservative because conservative is to preserve the found your founding documents, your constitution. And here in America, we're, we have a written constitution that is, you know, what we kind of consider our contract from government to people, to the people saying this is the limits we will set on our government. Well, a true conservative is one who wants to adhere to that document. But more importantly, you know, the, the principles that were fought for in the revolution, which are the, which are what, you know, the mission statement basically of the Declaration of Independence. You know, we are, our constitution was founded upon the principles and to protect those principles in the best way that the founding fathers thought they could. It wasn't, you know, just to set up a government, just to set up a government. It was a mission statement to protect life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so to me, being a conservative is standing up and saying, those are values that are worth preserving. And the constitution so far is the best way to preserve those things. And every violation against, against you know, our founding cons, you know, constitution should be, anything that changes that should be moving more towards those values of protecting life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Well, you know, you're dead on about the concept of people throwing words around without even knowing what they mean. I, I see all the time in social media people saying they're classic liberals. They're classic liberals, right? Mm -hmm. I'm a classic liberal. I'm a, like, and you look at their politics and you go, Okay, you're a progressive. Okay, you're pro and you don't and you're using the term classic liberalism mm -hmm. with no knowledge of what it is. So here's some bullet points on classic liberalism: <laughs> a government to protect individual rights and provide services only that cannot be provided in a free market; mm -hmm. a common national defense to provide protection against foreign invaders; laws to provide protection for citizens from wrongs committed against them by other citizens which include protection of private property and enforcement of contracts and common law, building and maintaining public roads and institutions and providing a stable currency and standard weights and measures, uh, canals, harbors, railways, communications, and postal services. Sounds a lot like minarchist libertarianism. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not exactly the same, but way closer than a Republican or a Democrat gets today at all. And I don't even, I'm not even saying like this is a good thing or a bad thing. What I'm saying is if you're going to throw that word around and then in the next place you're going to call out for major environmental law implementation <laughs> or you're going to say that we need a carbon tax or that we should have a, a guaranteed income or any of these things that immediately follow that claim, higher taxes for the rich, etc., then 
it's that 80s movie I never saw that everybody tells me that you need to, The Princess Bride. You keep using <laughs> yeah. that word. I don't think that word means what you think <laughs> it, it means. It doesn't dumbfound me. It confounds me because <laughs> when you actually – this is where I think – and this is where I think you're trying to solve this problem. Let's discuss the idea, right? <laughs> because when you point that out to the person – then you're immediately a Nazi or some crazy nonsense mm -hmm. like that. Like, no, I just told you what the word means, and now you're yeah. pissed because it doesn't mean what you thought it meant. And it's mm -hmm. very hard to move a conversation forward like that. Yeah, it is. And I, and, and I think that that's, you know, kind of a major thing of what I want is I want a healthy dialogue that where I remember in my debate class, you know, the first thing you do, like my teacher's like, you should stand up and you should define your terms for the debate. And they are the terms that you define them as, You mean them. So whenever I say this word, this is what I mean. And throughout this debate, and then your opponent may define them differently, and you may, and then in your cross examination, you can kind of hash that out, hash out those differences on why. But if you're just throwing around terms and you don't have a common understanding of what that means, I mean, you know, that's just like me telling you about my dog, and you're picturing like my car. Yeah. And you're like, why are you doing that to your dog? I mean, like, you know, it's like, well, why would you be putting tires on your dog? Like, well, I don't put tires on a dog. And that's that's what the that's what the conversations are like sometimes when you're when you just don't have these terms straight in people's heads. Well, I, so here's a, a classic example of that, right? So yesterday I had to be in the vehicle for a while, and I ended up listening to some talk radio. I don't know why, but I did. And I was listening to this guy named Dennis Prager. Dennis mm -hmm. Prager is not a Hasidic, but a devout Jew. Yeah, strongly practicing Jew, writes mm -hmm. stuff on the Torah and the commandments and stuff like that all the time. But he's also considered right-wing. So he's going to speak at this college in Montana, and the usual tripe comes out, and he's described you know, as a Nazi, because mm -hmm. all Jews are Nazis, yeah, and, and anti-Semite. <laughs> so yeah. this is a guy that's probably spoke more with a yarmulke on his head than not, and, and he's an anti-Semite because the word has lost all meaning yeah. because of its improper use and being applied as a label because I can shut you down by saying this bad thing about you. And, mm -hmm. and the level of nonsense that that is, it's hard to even find a word for it. It's such ridiculous, and I hate to use a word like stupidity there, but it is stupidity. It is. It, and it's, it, it, if it's ignorance, it's willful ignorance. If you had taken five seconds to research the topic of your article, and this was like an article by a journalist for the, 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 the college newspaper. Right, so this yeah. is not somebody's blog. This is at least you know they're going through the motions. Probably a journalist student, right? That's <laughs> going to go out and write journalism for the New York Slimes or the New York Compost <laughs> or something like that. And, and this is the methodology they're following in school, where they're supposed to be learning their craft. Yeah, and they, they say the same thing about a lot of people. I mean, like there's a lot of people in that space of kind of that right wing alternative media sort of thing. Like, because I still listen to. I actually like Dennis Prager a lot. I listen to a lot of his stuff. I think his ideas on religion are very interesting. I think he's a great thinker there. And some of the people that he is, like the Ben Shapiro kind of guy, he's a, an Orthodox Jew, and I've seen him called Nazi like all the time on Twitter. I'm like, I'm like, what are you talking? Like, I'm like, he's and he says that he's the number one recipient of like hate from like the neo-Nazi kind of alt-righter kind of people. He was the number one recipient of anti-Semitism from them because he is an Orthodox Jew. Yeah, and and he yeah. and he calls Trump on his crap when he does when he needs to. He, I mean, he's a Republican. He's a pretty you know traditional conservative kind of guy, a little more libertarian. But you know, 
Well, no matter what he is, he's not an anti semite. He's not an anti semite. You know, he's just a right wing guy. Like, and so he's not. I mean, like, he goes to, you know, he shuts off his phone on Saturdays, and you know, his wife can't drive on Saturday. From it's like, I don't think he's really an anti semite. You know, he doesn't hate himself. I just don't think that that's that's what anti semites do. Is you know, be part of a Jewish temple, raise your child as a Jew, write articles professing the virtues of Judaism. That's really not an anti-Semite. So that's what I'm saying. Like, you can think whatever you want about right-wing and not Mm -hmm. like it, but you can't just throw that in there. And that's my point, kind of, that we have in our discourse, so devolved in our discourse, that if you're right-leaning in your politics, well, you must be a neo-Nazi anti-Semite, woman-hating, you know, and then we do the same thing on the liberal side. I don't think it's done quite as bad in media, but I think it's done just as bad by the average person in their social media debates, which are far from debates. The debates involve concepts, facts, supporting evidence. Those are debates, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You so, want to hear something funny on that? Sure. I, I had a, my girlfriend told me that one of her friends doesn't like to debate me because – I just like bring facts in that she's not aware of all the time. And I'm like, she's like, it's not fair. I'm like, well, maybe you shouldn't. I was like, maybe you shouldn't, you know, debate things that you don't know about. Maybe you should do a little research and try to learn some things, read some, you know, not get all your information from, you know, super, you know, like the Sierra club videos on Facebook that are two minutes long that are like whatever crazy, even crazy environmentalist things that talk about, you know, that just show pictures of like, rings around ducks' necks and all this, and then how, you know, whatever kind of crazy propaganda. Maybe you should just go do some research and understand what things actually, you know, what how the environment actually works in some sort of sense. And I don't know. But I just thought it was, it was funny. Sorry. Go ahead. No, it's, it, it is. It's, it's it, it, That's another confounding thing. Like, so... Your problem with my debate style is that I stick to facts and I back the facts up with supporting evidence, mm-hmm. which means you have no interest in the facts, and it's not mm-hmm. unfair to provide facts. It's actually – see, it's another – kind of going on to a term you use, and I want to discuss the meaning of it, but the reason I'm doing this is because defining terms is important. So if, if, when you use the word fair that way, what you're actually doing is you're changing the meaning of the word fair. Yeah, it's like talking to a kid, and you say, like, I have a deal going with my my grandson right now. He has a real problem with at the end of the day when my wife says, "Hey, get your stuff, and we're going to to drop you off with your dad or your mom." Getting his shit together and getting out the door. He plays the delay game. Mm-hmm. Well, I have this really nice piece of a uh, crepe myrtle that make a great slingshot. It's been sitting on the table for weeks, right? And mm-hmm. he gets a slingshot when he for ten consecutive days gets his shit together and gets out the door. Right, and if he goes nine days and doesn't get it done that day, he starts at zero. Yeah. Well, that's not fair. I'll give the kid a break. He's seven, right? Yeah. But yeah. you know, okay, it's like, and now I'm dealing with an adult. And I have to talk to you like you're seven. And my response to him was, "It's completely fair because we both agreed to the deal. You understood the terms of the deal. I know you understand this." And if you do it, you get what you were promised. And if you don't do it, you also get what you were promised, which is nothing. <laughs> so it's all in your court. You have complete control over this. And so when somebody says that's not fair, well, you've changed the meaning of fair. You mean fair means getting what you want. Mm-hmm. So now this adult who is supposed to be engaging in an adult-level discourse has done the same thing a seven-year-old child does, which is change the meaning of the word fair 
because it doesn't work for them that way. Mm-hmm. And this is where we've gone. And it's amazing. You bring facts to a situation, people get mad. The latest thing that we just had a discussion with on social media is this the more on the Boy Scouts crap. So WND, who is not exactly a reputable news source, I'm sure you saw this, put out this thing that the Boy Scouts will be distributing condoms at the Worldwide Jamboree in 2019 because girls are in Scouts now. <laughs> and you immediately go, that that doesn't yes, make any right. sense. So you look it up, turns out that the World Scouting Organization that runs, that's like represents all the Scouts, like in Australia and England and Germany and Spain and the whole world, because there are countries other than our own, I know it's hard to believe that, has had a policy that wherever the world jamboree is, that in the medical facilities there will also be the ability, if you needed one, to get a condom. Mm-hmm. This has been in place for years, mm-hmm. and this has nothing to do with anything. So you point all that out, and the response you get from grown-ass adults who are proud of the fact that they're an Eagle Scout is, well, I won't have my kids involved with this anymore. So confronted with facts, you, cho- you and I support your right to do that. Yeah. But confronted with facts, you decided to do the, the fallacy known as move the goalpost. We'll just change the subject now because I don't like the facts you gave me. Mm-hmm. And it's it, that's where we are with everything. So with that in mind, there's a word here that I find interesting, and I want to know how you define it, conservative libertarianism. How do you define that? Yeah, so I define that as basically... Uh, approaching the ideas of libertarianism through the lens of a conservative demeanor. Okay. And so what I mean by that is, you know, as an anarchist, I would love to live in the, you know, the anarchist paradise that we talk about where the road's privately owned and all that. But, you know, if I'm going to, we, we have a system in place, like you kind of say all the time. And so to work within the system to get to that point, you have to play it in a different way. You can't just, it's, it's like, uh, if you have to remodel your, your bathroom, if you want to change your bathroom, you don't tear down your house and build a new house to have a new bathroom. No, you, you remodel your bathroom this time. And then, you know, now your step needs to be redone. It's crap, you know, so you do that and you just kind of, you know, your house maintenance is one thing at a time and just kind of chip away at it and you maintain your house. And all of a sudden after, you know, 30 years going to your house, pretty much everything's new because you've, Changed everything out. You're repainted. You've done all these new things, and now you have almost a new house from when you bought it. And it's like if you just, you know, or if you just try to pull the sheet off of a set table, unless you're a magician, well, you're just gonna have shit everywhere, and you know your food's gonna spill, and you know the plates are gonna be broken, and everything's gonna be crazy. Well, to me, you know, if you want to fix something, you got to take everything off the table, take the sheet off, and or the the whatever tablecloth off and then put the tablecloth back on or reset the table. And that's kind of how I approach these things. And the libertarian ideology, or not ideology, but the libertarian ideas is where can we have a win and move in the right direction towards libertarianism, towards freedom, towards, you know, self-governance and all those things that we talk about within the realm of this system, because there's a lot of big things that we need to fix and little things as well before We just start selling off roads to private companies. Well, and so there's a perfect example. So the whole roads debate. I am perfectly content as an anarchist to accept with pragmatism the world that I live in is never going to be in my lifetime the world that I want. I, mm-hmm. I get that. And if you want to use roads as your objection, that is probably the most benign thing government does. There's mm-hmm. waste in it. 
it's not the best product we could have, etc. But in the end, if I want to get my ass from Dallas to Philadelphia in a car, I can do it. Mm-hmm. So I am perfectly fine. We can put Marauds all the way at one of the last things that we'll address. There's all these other intrusions of government that are far worse than Moreau's. And a lot of the things that happen on the roads with interactions with law enforcement are not due to the fact that government says you can only go so fast and you can't, like, drive completely intoxicated out of your mind backwards down a highway the wrong direction. They happen from other civil liberties violations that all of a sudden most people would be in agreement with. When you actually explain something like civil asset forfeiture, even to the most unbelievably devout progressive liberal or the most conservative Christian you can find, both of them generally go, no, that, that, that can't be that. It it can't be that way. No, it absolutely here. It is that way. And you get those two completely divergent demographics going, this is wrong. I don't like this. So if you can get 70 to 80% consensus on something in our system, flawed though it is, you can probably change it. Yeah. Probably. I'm not saying you can, but you can probably change it. Mm-hmm. At least you can move the needle in the right direction. But instead, we want to be purists. That's what I think happens to many uh, anarchists and libertarians. We, Whatever our level that we have moved to philosophically is becomes the gold standard, and therefore anybody not to it is not worthy. Well, that sucks because there's only, like I think, a half a percent of people in America that would define themselves as anarchists with the proper use of the word. There's also a bunch of idiots in black that burn shit, right? But, but they're not anarchists. So even if we include them, we're still under 1% of the population. We're not going to get anything done at the system level without cooperation. So when we take our best allies and crap on them, like an example of that, the meme that shows the doctor, and it's supposed to be in the libertarian minarchist versus anarchist, and he's like, you know, I left 4% of the tumor. So that's good. And, and they're trying to make a point. I think philosophically you can make the point. But the right understanding would be, if I took the other 4%, I would have killed you. Yeah. So what the anarchist is saying is the goal should be the eradication of the tumor in a whole. But when a surgeon does surgery, a lot of times they don't, they don't get everything. They can't. They take yeah. what they can, and they rely on other methods to get rid of what's left or say at least you're better off than you were. Mm-hmm. And, and too many people are like, well, if I'm your surgeon, I'm going to cut your tumor out. I'd appreciate that, as long as it doesn't kill me. Yeah. Or I wake up, like, drooling out of the side of my mouth and having to have an adult diaper change for the rest of my life. I, 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 you know, I, I'll, I'll take my risk with the other 3 or 4%. And, mm-hmm. like, that's the kind of unification I think we need to go anywhere with this. And, you know, I don't vote, but if you gave me something to vote for, I might. I mean, I, you know, yeah. if, there was a, if there was a measure on the ballot in Texas to decriminalize marijuana, and it was even close as to how it was going to go down. You can bet I would get out and vote, and I would encourage other people to do so for yeah. decriminalization because you're taking something that's illegal and removing restriction on it. Done. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, so, like, it's not that I won't vote. It's that you got to give me something to vote for. And I think that starts with swaying public opinion and moving the conversation to things that we actually agree on. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think that there's just – it's it's so frustrating when – People who agree on so many things, like, you know, libertarian-wise, like, you know, I was debating my cousins, and we got to my roads, and, you know, they're like, hold on, and I was like, okay, you know, we'll leave that be, and then they're like, you know, and they kind of made the point that I already agreed with, they're like, why would you, you know, worry about that too much when, you know, 
he, one of my cousins, his uh, wife is a research person, like a medical, she does medical research and great stuff. And she's like, there's just incredible fraud and terrible things going on in the system. Like, there's so many horrible, like, ways to game the system and ways to keep doctors out, like, you know, the licensing and all that that's there. I'm like, yeah, I agree. Those are the things that you should attack first. Like, the fact that you need a license to cut hair in, I think, most states is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. That's what I'm going to go after first because, you know, that makes more sense. It's something that people can get on board with. Like, it doesn't take, a, you know, three years of beauty school to, you know, run some trimmers over my head. I do it on my beard every day. It, I, I haven't hurt myself yet, so I'm still, I'm still alive and breathing. I don't think I need a license to do this to other people, really. Well, and then you're also back to facts with people where, you, like, when you say, like, the income tax is theft, and they say, well, more roads. Well, mm-hmm. that's great. The income taxes don't pay for roads. Yeah. Gas taxes well, pay for roads. Gas exactly. taxes are usage far tax. less than their usage tax. You're gonna if we had our private road system that we would like, you're gonna pay something. Yeah. There's not gonna be magical unicorn roads that unicorns fart out that you can just go on. There's gonna be some cost. So to me, the only way I pay for roads is by using them. Mm-hmm. And I either pay for that as a direct consumer buying gas or an indirect consumer who takes an Uber, a train, a plane, or whatever. That, that entity that's providing me a service passes that tax through to me. Not in love with it, mm-hmm. but it, I don't actually consider it theft. I consider it a misappropriation, right? Yeah. But I can live with this. Yeah, now, exactly. when you say schools, okay, well, now you're penalizing people who own property mm-hmm. by taking a portion of the value of their property annually against their will at the threat of violence at the point of a gun You know, if we're going to have some sort of taxation to provide schools, can we do something like we do with roads? The people that use and benefit from school systems, yeah. proportionally to how they benefit and choose to partake in it, pay for it? Exactly. Well, I went to private school my whole life, and so my parents are paying for me to get a Catholic school education because they want to keep me away from the public school system, which in Indianapolis is not very great for the most part. And, you know, and then at the same time, they're paying for those public school systems, you know, My mom taught in it, and basically, you know, she it was we were also not a right to work state at the time, so she's paying union dues at the public school at one point for a contract she never got renegotiated. By the way, she never got a pay; it just was an extra tax on her. And and so, like, those are the kind of things that I kind of go that I attack is, you know, if you're going to talk about taxing to live in the society and have the society, well, make sure that it's for, you know, the kind of, it actually is for the kind of common good thing, if that's what your proposition is, but right now you're just, you know, stealing from Peter to pay Paul, and it's not right. You know, we had a guy on recently that we talked about uh, public lands, game regulations, and stuff like that, how that's funded mm-hmm. mostly through things like license fees, permits, etc. To me, that's another example of how you can actually have kind of a minarchist taxation system with, The only way I pay to help maintain the Texas deer herd is I choose that I want to hunt and I buy a license. And the purist says, but you should be able to go out and partake in that, you know, however you want. And, you know, if I own my own land that I completely manage that's fenced off from the common ownership of wildlife and it's high fenced, mm-hmm. I should be able to do whatever the hell I want with a white-tailed deer on my property. I'll agree with you. But if then I'm going to have expenses to owning that piece of property, even if it wasn't taxed as property. You don't just get property. It, there's a cost with maintaining, defending, managing property. So there's going to be a cost there. Mm-hmm. 
So when I look at it that way, like if you're going to hunt, you're going to have a cost. The idea that we're going to come back to some hunter-gatherer society, you know, where everybody lives in a cave, wears a loincloth, and goes out as a primitive anarchist, that's... I like my shit. I do. Yeah. Right? I'm sitting here. I'm in front of some computers. I'm talking to you. We're having a great discussion. We're sharing information around the world. I have a little ecosystem in the form of a fish tank with angelfish swimming around in front of me. I like my stuff. And a lot of that stuff comes from, yes, the free market from capitalism, if you want to call it that. But mm -hmm. there's got to be some mechanism by which that happens and some mechanism by which we procure it. And some of those functions, again, I'm okay with government doing them for now because, well, let me ask you an honest question. What do you think would happen? You know, they talk about the button. You can push the button and government goes away. If, if, if one of us pushed that button right now and we woke up tomorrow morning and there was no government in place, what would happen in this country? Well, I've never seen the movies, but I assume it would be pretty close to the purge. I think there would be, I mean, like if you have a blackout in some of those big cities for yeah. a week, I mean, it's riots and chaos and looting. If there's no one to, I think that you can get to a point technologically where property rights are insured by blockchain technology or some other, you know, some technology that's coming along the way. But right now, our insurance for property rights is our government. I mean, that's what it is, whether or not you like it. And if you take that away, I mean, now who's here? I mean, who's here to, I mean, you know, what, how many, what percentage of Americans are really capable of defending themselves with? you know, a gun or a weapon of some sort, if someone did try to break into their house in that kind of situation, you know, it's, it would be chaos. It would be. I think uh, it would be, be worse, like holding than, the worse than the purge. It would be worse than the purge. It would be people dead everywhere. People starving because it's, it, okay, if you have a person who's addicted to heroin, mm -hmm. the right course of action is to stop using heroin. But if yeah. that person is a true, full-on physical addict, And you shut off the, per the, the, the heroin without a withdrawal uh, mitigation program, there's a good chance they'll die. Yeah. Right? That doesn't mean heroin's good. If you have an alcoholic who, you know, within eight hours after their last drink starts having the DTs, mm -hmm. and you don't either use alcohol to wean them off or some sort of pharmaceutical, and you just stop giving them alcohol, which in the end is the right thing, they'll die. Yeah. We have over 200 years of building this monstrosity up. Mm -hmm. You can't just have it go away. It's it's yeah. not possible. And then as far as part of, you know, there is a component to free will in our philosophy, and there's a lot of people that right now want things pretty much the way that they are. Mm -hmm. And my conflict with them isn't them wanting it that way. It's making me participate against my will. Yeah. Right? But on the other hand, I also have to feel like it's not, it's not, then it's not right for me to drag them into my complete anarchist world without winning them over by proving it, by putting in systems that work without government, by giving them alternatives, by demonstrating that. Like, if we want that society, or if we want to even move halfway toward that society, we have to earn the cooperation of our fellow man. We can't force them into it, or we're just as bad as the state. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think that, I think along those lines, one of the biggest, some of the biggest things we can do is not even going for the the roads and all that, but getting those some wins that change the paradigm of how people look at the way they interact with government. And one that I am that I talk about a couple few times on my podcast and on my blog is, you know, the fair tax versus like a flat tax or an income tax. And my biggest reason why 
I would approve of a fair tax over, I, it's still theft, but an income tax says that, you know, I got taxed 25% last year on my income. That means that for, they, I was, a, for my first, for fourth of the year, I was a slave to the government working to pay them. Whereas a fair tax or a consumption tax of some sort is a tax that says for the, Preservate, you know, for the to provide for a national defense that allows for a free market to work within these borders that we've drawn up in this system that we have, we will tax retail consumption that is basically theoretically provided for by uh, the government. You know, it preserves the it has the institutions that allow for property rights and all that, and for a market to exist within it. You know, what that the way that you interact with the government then is very, very different than if you are a slave to the government a fourth of the year. And so that's kind of the, I think that's a monumental win if you could have something like that. But I think that that sort of win changes the way people think long-term. Just the same as the fact that the income tax being, you know, put into the constitutional constitution through an amendment, you know, that changed the way people thought yeah, I thought over the last hundred years since it's been instituted. Well, and so, like, the, the insidiousness of the income tax and the way the whole system is designed is Joe Blow doesn't, you know, bitches about paying taxes, but doesn't ever actually understand he pays taxes. Because mm -hmm. what Joe Blow does is gets a check from employer XYZ every week or two weeks or month, whatever it is for him, and yeah, he sees money, blah, 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 but he, he, he comes to an understanding and how he's raised in our society today that I am going to take home $700 a week. Yeah. In his head, that's what I actually I make $700 a week. Mm -hmm. Then, at the end of the year, he fills out a form, claims all his deductions and all that happy hoopla, and he gets a, re a, a rebate for $1,200 of overturned tax. So the one time a year that he really looks at his income tax, mm -hmm. he gets money back from the government. Yeah. Right? We have a lot of people, especially single mothers, with alternative in, you know, uh, minimum tax and stuff like that, that actually end up in the end getting more money as a refund than they put in, which that's not a refund. That's Robin Hood. Right? Yeah. In fact, it's, it's worse. It's reverse Robin Hood because Robin Hood stole from tax collectors. Yeah. Yeah. It's reverse Robin Hood there. You're stealing from the people and using the tax collector to distribute to other people. So, um, don't, it, but if you have a consumption tax, then literally every time you buy something, you're seeing what the government's getting. Exactly. And then you have to start asking yourself, well, what do we get for this? And then you can start saying, well, I don't need that, or I don't want that. Mm -hmm. Like another idea that I, I, I heard in, in a book by Richard Bach, who wrote Illusions and uh, Jonathan Livingston Siegel, and I, I think this was in the book one, I'm not sure, but it's a kind of a time travel uh, component to this. And he ends up in the backseat of a two-seater like airplane in a uh, like a like a, a dogfight scenario with like World War II level aircraft, and his younger self is flying in the front seat. Mm -hmm. And but he's in like an alternative time reality or something. And then when it's all over, like nobody's actually shooting anybody. At first he thought it's real, and he starts talking about their system of government now. And he they, they said, well, what about voting? And they're like, well, it doesn't really matter who you vote for anymore. Because what everybody does when they when they fill out their form for their taxes is they allocate by percentage of their money which departments of government get their money. So I could say, well, I'm going to give 100% to my roads, yeah. right? Or I'm going to give 10% to my roads, 10% to defense, and 
because I don't understand how it works, 80% of schools. Yeah. But by people being able to say, this is where I want my money to go, and instead of Congress earmarking funds, the public earmarks funds. Now, I don't think that's going to happen, but I would exchange it for what we have now because I, I believe that would give me a bigger say in how they spend my money. And if you want me to put my money in national defense, well then, buddy, you better start using it for national defense instead of empire building. Yeah. You know? And, and so, like, what that would do is actually apply the free market in a way to, I know purists are getting pissed right now, and there's keyboards going, it's not free. Okay. I understand. I under, the principle of the free market and voting with your dollars to mm -hmm. government. Because I'm not going to let you spend my money on these things. Of course, our problem is the government can borrow money and pay for them anyway. But yeah. you see what I'm saying. Like, you know, how many no, people would check off national idea. debt, which is our second leading line item now in, in, in non-discretionary expenses? Well, I sure as hell would. <laughs> no, no you guys made the debt. You pay for it, assholes. You know, I mean, yeah. that's – so anyway, um, we're having a great conversation here. That brings me to, like, what you're doing. You're, you have this thing called conversation – of our generation. How, how and why did you come up with that name? And when you say our generation, which do you mean a, a specific generation like millennials or boomers? Or do you mean like all of us in this time? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, my aunt actually asked me that when she was like, am I allowed to comment on your things on Facebook since <laughs> I'm not in your generation? I'm like, yeah, you are. I mean, it's, but here's the thing is, is so well, I'll, I'll talk about the blog first and then I'll get into that. The, the idea that I had for this was I was seeing all these alternative media things happening and, and, uh, you know, I was just kind of frustrated because I'm like, I have ideas when I'm listening to podcasts or when I'm, you know, I'm like, I need to find a way to get my voice out there. And so I started just talking into YouTube and, and I was like, this is stupid. This isn't going to do anything for me. I can't make any money doing this. Um, you know, I'm not going to gain any traction, but I'm, you know, I'm sitting in my digital marketing class. Like, this is the dumbest way to do this ever. So I built a website. And, uh, and it was actually a lot of the tips and, you know, getting me going was the five minutes with Jack. That was a great series, actually. And it was, uh, you know, I was like, I'm going to build a website. I'm going to start putting out my ideas in like an article format and, you know, sharing it to Facebook and everything. I built a WordPress blog. It's pretty, you know, bare bones. It's simple. And, and so I was like, okay. And I wanted to name it the conversation for our generation because my end goal was that, you know, People will be writing for the blog for me and getting different ideas and having, you know, in a day when an age when, you know, you have 240 characters to express the ideas of classical liberal, classical liberalism versus conservatism. I wanted to kind of have like, you know, a thousand word article here and there that you could read and kind of go in depth on ideas. And so at this point now, I'm really trying to get more and more people involved in writing blogs and kind of sourcing out ideas. I'm at a couple people at Liberty Forum when I was there that one of the guys has now, you know, written a couple posts for me. Uh, and, and, and so it's starting to become a range of opinions. I'd like to have people who even are like far left progressive socialists even writing because I want every idea on there. As long I, as you know, I love that idea as long as they're held to the same editorial standards. Yes. Because then you have to defend this idea not with conjecture and not mm -hmm. with, oh, you're stupid or Trump is a racist, right? Yeah. You have to defend the idea, and, and, and I kind of like the angle of discussion you have going on there because th that's great because if you're a liberal and you actually have a good idea, 
I want to know how to anarchize it, right? <laughs> I want to know how to make that work without the state. Yeah. If you have a good idea, and if you have a terrible idea that you think is a good idea, I want you to lay it out in such a way that it can be dismantled and you can see that it's a terrible idea. Mm -hmm. And I also want it, if it is a good idea under our current system and we can actually make it work, I, I hate to sound like a dick, but I haven't seen a lot of them from the left. I, I'm open to that. Now, I say that, but yet there are things the left comes up with that I highly support. Mm -hmm. I don't want the state involved in marriage, but I'm also for equal protection under the law, so the left's contention that if a dude and a chick can get married, two chicks should be able to get married. Completely yeah. agree with that. They should have the same right to be abused by the state that the man and woman have, right? Yeah. They should have the same right to have their lives infiltrated on and destroyed, but they should also have the same legal protections because it's equal treatment under the law. And when you get a response like, God made Adam and Steve, Eve, not Adam and Steve, you're like, that's not an intellectual argument. No. That's not a discourse that leads us there. So when I, it, it is almost unfair of me to put down the left that way because there are th the left has generally not the politicians, but the left itself has generally been more for decriminalization of controlled substances, yeah. which I completely agree with. You are a grown man; you should put whatever you want to your body. The problem with me for the left is we don't then put the other side of it and deal with the consequences. Mm -hmm. Right, so yeah. we have we have places that we agree with the left. The mm -hmm. left in general is more anti-war than the right. Yeah. I am on board with anti-war. I'm also pro-defense, including myself. So I don't want you to take my gun. So there <laughs> are there are areas where we have common ground. I think with both sides. Mm -hmm. And I think I definitely think that. And and that's why I want to have this so that you know. And my thing is, as long as it's not you know pornographic or like libelous because technically I am going to be an editor of the site so I'm you know I can be held liable for libelous things at that point like Mark Zuckerberg by saying that he's an editor or like that they're not a platform they're a publisher like every time you share like a meme that has that's licensing on it now he they could probably be sued based on his testimony in Congress and so like I want to be sure that I'm not opening myself up to liability but at the same time you know I want to have ideas where You are able to discuss the idea, you know, not the person, not attacking people back and forth. I want, uh, Confucius says that the, uh, superior man is, uh, Catholic, like lower C Catholic, meaning universal, and the mean man or the average man is partisan. And I think that that's something that if you can look past the partisanship, and I think that even libertarians have trouble with this, that like, everything is, what's the libertarian position on this? It's like, well, you have to look at the universal, you have to look at where you stand in time, where you have to look at the whole picture, the, the entirety of what's going on around you, not just your partisan beliefs in this, you know, in your little world. You have to look at the whole world. And I want to get that picture. Um, and so, like, what I really want is through your audience, I know you have a bunch of listeners and a lot of people who are really active on your, uh, on your blog and everything. And I, if anybody has ideas that they want to put forth, If you're a, a you know an engineer who can tell me how the road system would work in you know in a society you know how how a private company could do it I'd love to hear your ideas on it or whatever it is but um you know and I'll I'll give my contact information later I guess but that is where I want a range of ideas I'd love to have hundreds of people sending me ideas each week and putting them up on the blog and just putting out articles left and right like that because I want it to be more than just 
my voice in the conversation. I want it to be a dialogue back and forth and people being able to answer each other. If it's one person, it's not a conversation. <laughs> yeah. Right? Well, it, it's, it, it, it's a sermon. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that's something I've always tried to make TSP is a conversation. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, you used a term there that, that I thought was interesting, the libertarian position on. Yeah. And I think that people confuse the libertarian position from a standpoint of what should government do from the mm -hmm. position of the libertarian you're asking. Yeah. So, for instance, you might ask a libertarian, well, what is the libertarian position on cannabis? It's a plant, and you should be able to do whatever you want with it. And then the, what the person hears is, he wants everybody to smoke pot. The honest libertarian could be 100% against the consumption of cannabis mm -hmm. and say, I think it is one of the worst things in the world you can do for your body. I wouldn't agree, but they could feel that way. It is only that I should not infringe upon your right to do it because there's lots of things that people do that aren't good for their body. Yeah. And as an adult human being, I should not be able to make a determination for you on what you do or do not consume. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's very different from, well, they want everybody to have heroin. Because now we're at a place where, do I want prohibition of heroin? No, because I don't think it works. I think it's, it's clogged up our criminal justice system. It's made it nearly impossible for addicts to actually get treatment and help that want it and need it. So mm -hmm. I don't, but I think heroin is one of the worst things in the world that you can do to your body. Yeah. Right. So I have that position on a different drug. So I am not pro-heroin, but I'm anti-prohibition of a substance by government. Mm -hmm. And you could take that into many positions where I could be, you know, I'm not, but I could be a religious person that was opposed to gay marriage. I can yeah. still have the libertarian position of that's for people in my faith that have chosen my faith, that are honest and, and, and true to my faith. And what they choose to do with their own legal contracts is none of my effing business. Yep. And, and that's, see, that's, I think, nine times out of ten, that is the libertarian position on something. Like, mm -hmm. whether I like it or not is not relevant until you start hurting someone or taking their stuff. My opinion doesn't matter so much as should somebody stop you from doing it. Yeah. No, and I agree. I just think that There's so many, like, they, that's the only framework that they think of the world is the libertarian position on every single, like, the voice custom, this and that, and everything that, like, happens. Instead of just saying, like, first of all, like, half the stuff doesn't even matter what the libertarian, you know I mean, like, yeah. libertarian, yeah, it doesn't, don't even think about it, don't yeah. even worry about that, because guess what, in five years, you won't even remember this thing happened. You won't and, remember it in five weeks. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and then the other part is, is, If that's your only lens of looking through life, like first of all, you're just going to be angry at the world all the time because you're. If you look at the world through libertarianism all the time, then you're just going to be mad because everything's going to, you know, I mean, because the government's everywhere and then way too many things, so you're just going to see it all the time. And the other thing is, I think that it's better to try to step outside of the, that line of thinking and see, get the other side, and not just sit in a libertarian group discussing libertarian position on each individual like news story that comes through like I'm in a group that does that and I'm like this is the most like it's twice a day I have that question posed there on a different news story I'm like this is so frustrating so just I'm like can you talk about something else ever <laughs> how about how we get our position to work yeah like, you know? yeah, like so what's our position our, let's position, work on some is, our position is simple don't hurt people and don't take their stuff 
So mm-hmm. if this thing hurts people and takes their stuff, we're obviously opposed to it. Yeah. So how do we prevent this from causing people to be hurt and have their stuff taken? Exactly. And it's a totally different conversation. And when you talk about things like the Boy Scouts, so I have been very vocal in defending the facts mm-hmm. around that issue because I'm trying to use it as a teaching moment, right? Mm-hmm. Stop believing bullshit because somebody made a picture and put some words on it. Start actually examining the facts. So what I get accused of is a ruthless and unwavering defense of the Boy Scouts. Hold on, I'm the guy that three years ago called for the creation of an independent scouting organization mm-hmm. called Sovereign Scouts because I thought the Boy Scouts of America was circling the drain. Yeah. Okay, But we're not going to use fictitious information as though it's fact and not correct it. Mm-hmm. Right, so it's just not a defense of Boy Scouts. They're going to put all the boys and girls together. Like, so when the Boy Scouts thing came out, the girls, right? Like they're all going to be in troops together. And all. Okay, well that's not how it's going to work. Yeah. So if we're going to, if you're going to discuss it, can you get it factually accurate? Well, you yeah. just defending anything they do. I'm not. Def- no, I actually didn't even give. I have yet to give my opinion on whether it's a good idea or a bad idea. Mm-hmm. I have purposely withheld my opinion. I have only discussed the facts of the situation so that your opinion is grounded on fact versus assumption. Because my wife, when I talked to her about this, I said, so what do you think this means? Well, they're going to be camping together and all that stuff. Nope, it doesn't mean that. <laughs> that was what she logically drew from mainstream media and the discussion of it, which was a perfectly logical position to be in, because honestly, with that one, it sounded so cut and dry. That's what I thought it meant, too. Yeah. But you got to get facts. And until we can actually start talking about facts... We cannot move the discussion forward. And it, it, it does trouble me how big a problem people have. Like, you give them the facts. Well, you've attacked me. No, I've attacked your idea. That, that's the very nature of not attacking you. I have said, you have the facts wrong. Here are the facts. Here is supporting evidence of the facts. Uh, and when you didn't like Snopes because they're a CIA operative organization or something like that, I gave you a second source of the same facts. Mm-hmm. Because your ad hominem attack was completely invalid. I don't know what Snopes is really all about. I don't really care. I look at them sometimes and go, okay, these facts check out. So that means the information's valid. Whether I, I'm sure I don't like those people as people. Yeah. Right? But I'm worried about fact. And, and, and to me, like, the, the worst problem we have over the last 20 years is the, the dismissal of fact. So when you bring fact, it still doesn't matter. I, I'm sure you've heard that, right? Well, actually, boom, 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 boom. Well, it still doesn't matter. <laughs> Wait a minute, everything you said is wrong. And, and I don't mean that in some kind of like egotistical way. I mean, like literally, you made these three points. Every single point is incorrect. Here's supporting evidence, and it's not an opinion. You made statements of fact that were inaccurate. Because it was that Daniel Patrick Monaghan says, every person is entitled to his own opinion, but not his own fact. So when we're discussing fact... And I bring the attention to you that your three facts you based your entire opinion on were wrong. I think it is at least worth stopping for a second. And I'm not going to tell you what to think, but you re-evalu- your own, reevaluate your own opinion. Yeah. And it seems like we used to do that. You know, I'm an old guy, so I grew up in the 80s and 70s. Even kids back then, it seemed like we used to do that. And it seems like today we don't. Mm-hmm. No, I think I've changed a lot of my opinions over the last couple of years. And I think that... A big problem with why, you know, the whole facts, you know, well, that doesn't matter is because there's a big thing, and I I hate it whenever I hear it, and I hear people everywhere saying this, is like, it's your truth, 
Oh, is really, and I hate it because I'm like, okay, here's the thing: is it's your perspective on the truth, but there is only one such thing as the truth. There is an objective truth that exists outside of our perceptions. You know that is there. I mean, there's an there's an objective reality, and we can perceive it through flawed means of you know hearing and our eyes. You know, and we can think about it through flawed means with logic and reason, and try to work it out and make it coherent. But and we can discuss ideas like we are now, and you know, and now I have another perspective. I have Jack's perspective on what this truth is, but there is something that exists outside of your perceptions that you are taking in and trying to process. And that's something that I think with kind of the the postmodernist ideas that have infiltrated all levels of education, it's something that has been lost. And that's something that I think if there's one fantastic thing for religion to serve, purpose for religion to serve it is to say that there is objective truth because I think that that's one thing that, you know, the Catholic Church or whatever problems I have with it even, that's one thing that they stand on that I say is worthwhile preserving because I don't know, you know, there's very few other institutions that have stood the test of time that are preserving that right now. Yeah, I mean, and, and I guess the thing is that there is a truth to certain things, right? So an opinion would be like, you and I could sit here and debate like, when will mankind get to Mars? Mm -hmm. And that's no matter what, that's going to be an opinion. Until yeah. we do it, then it will become a truth, because now it's mm -hmm. happened, so now a man walked on Mars. So now we can agree on that. At that point, if someone says, well, in my truth, the first man walked on Mars in 1984, <laughs> your truth is invalid. Yeah. And I know you're offended by that, and you need your puppy and your safe space and your crayons, but you, you don't have your own truth of something like that. Mm -hmm. If we look at one of the most ridiculous debates, and I think 90% of it's trolls, You know, is the Earth a sphere or flat? Okay, the Earth is a sphere. Yeah, it don't is. Have your, I don't care if your truth is that the Earth is flat. It, your truth is nonsense. Mm -hmm. Now, we could be debating something like, oh, I don't know, is there life on another planet? And well, I yeah. might be like, absolutely not, and you might be like, absolutely there is. My contention is there probably is, but just mm -hmm. to give you a, a devil's advocate view. And both of us can have an opinion. Neither one of us knows the truth. We are in that situation both agnostic yeah. to the truth. We do not know we are basing our opinions on the available facts and information. But if we say, you know, there's more than 50 stars out there, and you say, well, in my world there's only 50, I'm sorry, I can look and see, right? Yeah. So that, and I think that all started with Oprah's speech, and it's just the biggest pile of crap yeah. that I have ever heard, your truth. You don't have a truth. You have an opinion. Mm -hmm. Exactly, and... And I mean, even the like the life on Mars or like life out there. I guess I should say not life on Mars because we can validate that somewhat. But if there's life out there somewhere else in the universe, well, at this current moment, there either is or isn't. You know, we can talk about it. We may not be able to perceive all of the truth at once. You know, the the Greek philosophers even deduced the idea of the atom. Like they figured out that there was probably some sort of building block to life. And now, obviously, we know it goes below the atomic level. But when people found that building block, they're like, oh, we're going to call these atoms because that's what the the the, uh, the Greeks called it because it was – I forget what the Greek word actually means. But um, but they were able to deduce that, but they couldn't prove that truth. But eventually you can get to that because you can create microscopes, you can create technologies that make truth more perceptible. That and brings, so, That brings to something I always call – like everybody calls it Schrodinger's cat. 
and I call it the Schrodinger's cat paradox, right? A statement that is accepted as true but yet is not true. And that is, you know, you have the cat and he's in the box. Mm -hmm. And there's a vial of poison. And the poison is either opened or not opened by a timer that's random. And the cat is both dead and alive until you open the box. No, the cat's freaking dead or alive. You find out yeah. the truth when you open the you box. Open the box. Yes. It's an interesting um, concept to use to have evolved thinking. But in the end, like, is there life out there? I say no. You say yes. Okay. The truth is the truth, regardless of our opinions. Exactly. And eventually, one of us may be proven right or wrong. And, mm -hmm. and that's, that's how we should come at most conversations, I think. But, yeah, when we're talking about things like, well, gravity means shit falls, well, it does. Right? And you can, <laughs> okay. we, we you can believe that's not true, but if you, in your truth, gravity doesn't apply to you, and you walk out of a seven-story building, I hope nobody useful is underneath you. That's, I mean, because <laughs> you're going to fall. Yeah. Right? You can have the power of the mind, whatever. It ain't going to happen. Hey, mm -hmm. you had uh, Vin Armani on your show. Uh, what was that like, having Vin on? He's a pretty good, good dude, man. Yeah, it was awesome having him in on. Uh, we talked, he had been talking a lot about the, the matriarchy sort of thing and the patriarchy and how it's working and changing uh, the paradigm on how we decide the truth, the consensus idea of, you know, with obviously with a lot of the cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin obviously has the consensus governance model and how that's something kind of coming up and really new to our world where it used to always be that, you know, the president, the CEO orders, you know, top down in a hierarchy. And which is more of a patriarchal uh, situation. And um, I wanted to talk to him because really I think he kind of gave uh, almost like a breath of like, oh, that's what I'm trying to tap into is I want to create a system where you can have almost a patriarch patriarchal battle of ideas that build into a consensus. That's how, you know, obviously the earth being flat around, you had mathematicians working that out and then, You know, we shot someone into space, and they looked down on the Earth and like, yeah, by the way, for sure, it's round. <laughs> Here's the picture. There's, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so, um, and so, I think that those are the kind of things that we can really hash out and create a new consensus on. This is okay. It's almost irrefutable truth at this point, and that's what I want to have happen. And I kind of talked to him about it, and it was awesome. I mean. I had to listen to the podcast like two more times to really get all the information. It's up on my uh, thing right now. It's a bonus episode. I think it was like the, I had him after two or three weeks of just starting the podcast. He just put out the invite saying, come try me. And I, emailed, or I hit him up on Twitter and we set it up, but it was, it was really cool to get to talk to him. Uh, I went to his dinner at Liberty forum and it was interesting, the conversation. And I was like, I just kind of wanted to tap into his mind and hear what he had to say, but it was really cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he tries to do a good job of having facts. Yeah. Um, like I say, he's never run out in left field before, but uh, <laughs> but in general, very solid command of the facts. Very good debater because he sticks to the facts. And yeah, uh, yeah, he's he's a cool dude. I'm glad you were able to get him on. So with your 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 website, your blog, your podcast, and all, what are what are your plans going forward? Yeah. So my hope is obviously getting this uh, reaching out to your community. If you guys go to my blog. There's a contact page. Um, what I found is that you want to put your email, if you want me to reply to you, in the in the body of your message. Uh, it doesn't allow me to reply through the like automated email that I get from WordPress of the notification. But contact me if you want to write blogs. I want to get more ideas out there. That's one place I really want to take this. So, you know, I got a lot of people listening to this podcast. 
if you have an idea that you want to put out there, definitely, definitely hit me up there. Um, even, you know what, my emails, uh, Nicholas Jamel, J-A-M-E-L-L at gmail.com. Email me with ideas there. Um, please keep it civil. That's my email. So don't go crazy people, but, um, I'm not worried about it with this community, but that's one thing. And I really love to create some sort of open platform, um, almost like a social media thing. I've talked to a friend of mine and I'd love to almost create a steam it like thing and really push it to some of those people who are out there. Like, uh, I know Ben would probably, if you could create it and make it work, people like you and Ben would probably be loving it. But some of the people who have the big followings, the Dennis Prager's and the people who are mad at YouTube and Facebook about their algorithms, who, you know, use those things for, to basically market themselves, Twitter as well, you know, tell them here is a true platform that will be merit based instead of, you know, an algorithm on what I want. It'll be, you know, I, I don't think pure democracy is always good in government, but I think pure democracy is fine in something like this. And allowing people to upvote things and push things to the top that are good or follow people who they want. And you can kind of have it broken up into different places. And I, I'm working my way through it. I'm going to talk to a friend who knows how to code and maybe get, I really want to get that started. And this is actually the first time I was talking about it. So this is kind of a new unveiling, but this is a project that I'm really going to try to buckle down and start on. And again, the website where they can get in touch with you is? Conversationofourgeneration.com. You can find me on facebook.com slash conversationofourgeneration. Twitter at Con of our Gen. I'm on Minds uh, Conversation for Generation there and Steam it, which is my last name at Jamel. So you can find me on all those places. I'm really bad about Steam it because it's a pain in the butt to log into. Yeah, you is. have to like go to my email, find that long ass key phrase. And, but Minds and Twitter and Facebook, I'm pretty good. So um, definitely hit me up on any of those places if you have ideas, you know, whatever it is. I want to get a conversation going, get a dialogue going, and so I know your fans are. Pretty good about that, so that's why I really wanted to reach out to you. All right, cool, man. Well, I, I appreciate having you on. I, I, I like what you're doing, Nick, and, and I wish you the best in it. And as things evolve for you, if you ever decide you want to come back on again, just fill out another form. We'll get you on. On your form on your site with the email issue, check into that. I'm sure there's a setting or something or a different plug-in that can make that go away for you because that yeah. sounds annoying. That really it does. Yeah. But for now, people do that. Put it in the body of the message for now. Cool. All right, yeah. man. Well, hey, thanks a lot. You have a great day, Nick. All right. Thanks, Jack. Have a good one. All right. Great conversation with a guy trying to make a difference in the world in a positive way. On that note, if you like this show, this type of discussion, you want to help support us, one of the ways you can do that is by becoming a member of the MSB or Member Support Brigade. Guys, all you got to do to make that happen, go to the survivalpodcast.com, click on Members. You can see all the ways that you can sign up, all of the great discounts that you get there. Uh, you can find out all about it, and I'll just leave it at that today. Again, though, remember, it's 50 bucks a year, and right now you can get it for 25 bucks a year, locked in for life, which comes out to about nine cents an episode. So if you think this survival podcast is worth a dime an episode, this would be the time to join. Remember, the discount code to get that price is the word BACON. In honor of the vegan troll Travis, who has been trolling us at the TSP group on Facebook for months, I am happy to report that about 100 extra pounds of bacon have been consumed because of Travis's trolling. Yep, really. And you can add to the dog pile, because here's the deal. I ask you, on your honor, if you use the code BACON to eat one extra pound of bacon this week and give the gift of bacon to a friend or family member of some sort, it could be a bacon 
8-Bit Chocolate Bar, which is a real thing, and it's actually not a gimmick. It's actually really good. You might want to check that out. Change your life a little bit. Remember, if for any religious reasons you cannot consume pork, you may substitute the, uh, the item with the face of your choice for bacon. But you still need to give some sort of a meat-based gift to a friend or family member. Might I suggest beef jerky? And if you'd like to eat bacon, but you can't eat pork, I've just ordered something called lamb bacon. I'm wondering where this has been all my life. I feel that I've been deprived from the knowledge that lamb bacon existed. And as far as I know, every religion out there that allows the consumption of meat can eat lamb. So you might want to try some lamb bacon. It sounds like some lamby goodness. But remember, with that code bacon, no matter who you are, you can get MSB for $25 bucks a year with that rate locked in for life. Next up, let's talk about how you can support us the painless way, the easy way, the simple way, simply by going to tspaz.com whenever you're going to shop online. If you go to tspaz.com whenever you're going to do your online shopping and shop from there, you help support us. And you can also see all the products that we've reviewed. You can see the deals of the day. You can see everything like that. But as long as you go there first, you help support us. I have a product for you today that I've talked about time to time as part of my fertility regime for my plants. But I've never actually reviewed it individually, of course, as an individual product. So my core fertility regimen is GS Plant Foods Liquid Kelp, Garrett Juice Plus, Dr. Earth 444 Fertilizer, and Endomycorrhizal Fungal injection, uh, Inoculation. Those four things are the core. Plants also need minerals, micronutrients, etc. And there's four minerals that plants most often end up deficient in. Those are iron and zinc and calcium and magnesium. I am going to leave calcium and magnesium out today. Guess what I'm going to review for you tomorrow, though, my product for that, and talk to you about iron and zinc today. So iron and zinc are like twins when it comes to plants and the, what they need and their ability to absorb it. They only need a little bit of iron, and they only need a little bit of zinc. But if they have plenty of iron and not enough zinc, they can't absorb the iron either. And if they have the zinc but not the iron, they can't absorb the zinc or the iron. They need them together to be able to process them and use them. And they need to be bioavailable. This is another thing that happens. There's iron in the soil. You throw nails in your, in your rusty nails in your soil all you want. Uh, that is not going to necessarily solve an iron deficiency. The plan is to be able to get the nutrient into their body. Now, in good, healthy systems, soil biology makes these things bioavailable. But we have things go wrong at times. And I'm looking for a solution that always works. This product is made by a company called Liquinox. It's 30 32 iron zinc chelated solution. Chelated, I can get into the scientific explanation, but let me just put it this way. When you give it to the plant, the plant can use it now. That's what's awesome about it. It's also, because it's a chelated solution, usable as a foliar feed. This is where we spray the plant with the liquid, and the plant takes it in right through the leaves and immediately has access to it. So I use this at the beginning of my season. I do a soil drench in all my wicking beds and any kind of soil-based garden. And it's a very small amount to, to gallons of water, and you, you just wet the soil down with it. It has aloe vera gel in it, which helps as a soil wetting agent, so that it actually goes into the soil and becomes a battery of the elements there for the plant to use instead of just sitting on the surface due to surface tension and getting washed away the next time it rains or you water. When it comes to foliar feeding, I do that a little bit with soil-based beds, but I mainly use it for the aquaponics ebbs and flow beds. 
number one deficiency in aquaponic systems, if they're not in soil-based wicking beds, is iron. It's the number one. It's the hardest thing to deal with. You take this, you put an ounce to a gallon of water, which means a half ounce to your little half-gallon hand sprayer, and you missed your aquaponic seven flow beds about every two to three weeks with this stuff, and any other amendments you're using, you can use it all together. And that whole problem goes away. And I'm telling you, these components, these six components, I'm going to bring you the sixth one tomorrow, the CalMag supplement. If you use them in your gardening, your aquaponics, I don't care what, you will have better production, uh, production than you've ever seen before. You'll have maximum disease resistance. And let me tell you the number one symptom of um, iron deficiency in plants, chlorosis. This is where the leaves start to yellow. The stems tend to stay green. The color starts disappearing at the tip, and the leaves get more and more yellow and more and more weak-looking. And then the leaves get deformed. And then the leaves rot. Now, not, not counting tomato blight, which is a separate issue. It's a fungal disease. Have you ever had plants have that problem? This is probably why. Calcium and magnesium are important, too. But it's iron and zinc that is the number one reason these things happen. 13 bucks for a 16-ounce bottle that makes um, 16 gallons of fertilizer. I just finally ordered a new bottle today because my old bottle, I got rid of it because I dumped the last maybe 10% of it into my new aquaponics system, just dumped it in the water just to supercharge it. I had it for two years. A 16-ounce bottle lasts me, and I do a lot, two years. So this is a good deal. It doesn't cost a lot. It's easy to do. I break down everything in the article today. Liquinox 30-32 Iron Zinc Chelated Solution. You get this. You get the Dr. Earth. You get the Garrett Juice. You get the CalMag. If you do at least that, it'll blow you away. You add the liquid kelp and the fungal inoculation in, it will make your garden blow and glow like glow and blow like you cannot believe. Seriously. Anyway, so always can find all this stuff at tspaz.com. Check it out today. And remember, whether you buy this stuff or anything else, as long as you go to tspaz.com, you know, support the Survival Podcast and the work that we do. That brings us to our song of the day. Song of the day is one of my favorite songs of all time. I know I say that a lot, but I have a lot of favorite songs of all time. Um, this is James Taylor, Fire and Rain. And... Man, I love this type of music. Dan Fogelberg, James Taylor, uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash, you know, all, all these folks are the types of music that really hits me in the heart. And this song is a very, very deep song. And I thought I'd tell you some things about it, because I, I can't believe there's many people that haven't heard this song. I, I've got to believe almost everybody on the planet, certainly north of the age of 20, has heard this song. North of the age of 40, if you haven't heard this song... I think you were living under a rock somewhere. So let me give you a little bit off song facts. The song facts on this one are actually huge. And I have a link to songfacts.com where you can learn more about it. It's a very interesting song. I'm going to give you two pieces of it, though. Taylor wrote this in 1968 at three different times. He started it in London, where he auditioned for the Beatles' Apple Records. He later worked on it in the Manhattan Hospital and finished it while at drug rehab in the Austin Riggs Center of Massachusetts. In a 1972 Rolling Stone interview, Taylor explained, The first verse is about my reaction to the death of a friend. That would be Suzanne, explained below. The second verse is about my arrival in this country with a monkey on my back. And there is Jesus in the expression of my desperation in trying to get through a time when my body was aching and my time was at hand when I had to do it. And the third verse refers uh, to my recuperation in Austin Riggs, which lasted about five months. He was only 20 years old when he wrote this in 1968, but was battling depression and drug addiction. 
And he's a guy that I believe he, he survived because he got that kind of help. Um, now, let's talk about Suzanne, right? There's that, that line that everybody knows in the song, Just yesterday morning, they let me know you were gone. Suzanne, the plans they made put an end to you. I always looked at that as some TV personality that we didn't know who it was. Kind of like, you know, Elton John did Candle in the Wind for Marilyn Monroe, that type of thing, and then rewrote it for Di Princess Diana. Not maybe that way, but that type of thing. Like, it, it always sounded to me like somebody being done away with. What's well, kind of what happened, but not really. Listen, it's, it's a much more deep and sad thing. Um, Taylor explained, it concerned a girl called Suzanne. I knew who they put into an isolation sh isolation cell, and she couldn't take it and committed suicide. Her name was Susie Shearer, and Taylor also explained that it was months before he found out about her death. His friends withheld the news so it wouldn't distract Taylor from his uh, burgeoning music career. In a 1972 Rolling Stone interview, Taylor added, uh, I always felt rather bad about the line, the plans they made put an end to you because they only meant ye gods or basically the fates. I never knew her folks, but I always wondered whether that folks would hear that and wonder whether it was about them. So it definitely wasn't about them. Anyway, this is an amazing song. And the more you know about it, the more amazing this song is. This is, you know, one of those songs that, um, It, it, when you actually dissect it, take it apart, listen to it, really hear it for what it is, you wonder what's happened to music. Um, you know, it's to me, it's up there. I mentioned Crosby, Stills, Nash. Um, it's up there with the elegance of writing, even though it's a totally different type of song, with Southern Cross. Just absolute poetic awesomeness. So listen to it, and maybe it'll even sound a little different, though I'm sure you've heard it many times before. Now with knowing some of the story behind it, if you'd like the full story of the song, which was released first in 1970, which is over 47 years ago, you can find out more about it at songfacts.com, link in today's show notes. With that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Just yesterday morning, They let me know you were gone Suzanne, the plans they made put an end to you I walked out this morning And I wrote down this song I just can't remember who to send it to I've seen fire and I've seen rain I've seen sunny days that I thought would never end I've seen lonely times when I could not find a friend But I always thought that I'd see you again Won't you look down upon me, Jesus You gotta help me make a stand Just got to see me through another day My body's aching and my time is at hand I won't make it any other way Whoa, I've seen fire and I've seen rain I've seen sunny days that I thought would never end 
many times when I could not find a friend But I always thought that I'd see you again Been walking my mind to an easy time My back turned towards the sun Lord knows when the cold wind blows It'll turn your head around Well, there's hours of time on the telephone line To talk about things to come Sweet dreams and flying machines In pieces on the ground Oh, I've seen fire and I've seen rain I've seen sunny days that I thought would never end I've seen lonely times when I could not find a friend But I always thought that I'd see you, baby One more time again Thought I'd see you one more time again There's just a few things coming my way this time around now Thought I'd see you 